Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. I have a very special guest today. Um, I've known her for over 20 years. She's been a, an amazing nephrology nurse, and I don't think there's anything we disagree on. We, we worked in the community together discussing the very important topic of fluid management. And I would say she's uh, one of the leaders in the community on this topic. And I'm so happy to introduce Anne DeRoll. She's a clinical manager at Fresenius Kidney Care in Sacramento. And so welcome to the show, Anne. Thank you, Laurie. It's awesome to be with you again, especially since we've even done talks at conferences together and we've kind of, I've segued into your talk or you've segued into mine. So we do, we do dovetail, don't we? <laughs> yes, we may be sisters or something in another life or something because we're always right in tune with each other of where we think care should be. So. Well, we're going to talk today about some of the basics of fluid management because this could be a eight hour long talk that people need to understand, you know, the complexities of managing fluid for patients. But, you know, for people with kidney disease, can you just talk about why they need to manage their fluid? Well, fluid is so important because when your kidneys fail, um, they fail for two things go wrong. Number one, they can't remove the toxins. And number two, they can't remove the fluid. We have lab tests and we're checking your toxins. Did you get your urea reduction ratio? Did you get your KT over V? How are your numbers? Those are important numbers. Fluid is also an important number because the kidneys remove fluid. So I think that fluid management is just as important as adequacy. And we need to have a number, a target by which we manage your fluid. So how do you even like determine what my, and I guess the term is that people need to be familiar with is your dry weight. So can you explain what dry weight is? Well, dry weight is how much you should weigh when you are technically dry. And we call it your EDW, which stands for estimated dry weight. And I would like to emphasize the word E for estimated. So we estimate your dry weight to be, let's just say, 70 kilograms. If you come to dialysis weighing 75 kilograms, then you're 5 kilograms over your dry weight. Then we need to have you leave dialysis at 70 kilograms. So that's what dry weight is. Dry weight is your perfect weight when you don't have any extra fluid in your body anywhere. So I weigh 70 kilograms. Can that, how often can that change? Well, you know, I have normal kidneys and I weigh myself every day because I'm trying not to be fat and um, <laughs> I have to watch my weight because I have to take care of my blood pressure, right? And my, my weight on the scale every morning in the nude fluctuates two to four pounds a day. So I don't know why we have written in our brains that if your EDW is 70, you should weigh 70, 365 days a year. That's just not practical, and it doesn't work that way. Um, so part of part of what we're trying to do is manage the fluid and manage your dry weight and get you to your correct dry weight, which may be different every week, actually. 
what can cause some changes in your dry weight? I, I think when you're weighing as somebody with normal kidney function, it, it can just, um, if you eat Chinese food the night before, <laughs> you, can, you can put on a couple pounds because of sodium. Is that correct? Absolutely. Salt is your enemy and eggs are your friend. So if you have too high a sodium meal, and anything with the word sodium in it, monosodium glutamate, it doesn't have to say salt. Anything that has the word SOD or the letters SOD for sodium is your enemy. Salt retains water, and that water stays inside your cells and outside your cells and inside your blood vessels. And so that water just stays in there Um the other thing, too, is constipation. You know, one of the big problems that dialysis patients have is constipation. So if you have a lot of stool in your bowel because you're constipated, well, then you're going to weigh more. So that could change your dry weight. We can't remove, we can't remove constipation on dialysis. Right. And so your weight would change. What if you are constipated and we try to get you down to your dry weight, you're going to crash. But if we or using a blood volume monitor, and we're monitoring your blood volume changes, then we might have to make an adjustment, and you might have to leave, say, 0.4 kilograms, quote, heavy, meaning above your dry weight, but it's actually your correct weight for that particular day. Because you have stool in your body. You're, exactly. It, it's like when I go to the doctor, I mean, I have to take my shoes off. I mean, my shoes can weigh a pound. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you have all these different things um, that can cause you to have excess weight on you. But also, let's talk about when you lose weight. I hear this often from patients that they've gone into the hospital and that message quite didn't make it back to having their dry weight changed. Um, if you're in the hospital, I mean, it's you can lose 5 to 10 pounds in a week, and I know I have. Right. And, and that's really a common thing. We notice in our clinic, um, sometimes I'm looking at the blood volume monitor, I'm going, gosh, why is this blood volume not reducing? And I look at the goal, the goal is correct, and the pre-weight doesn't seem out of line. And I look at the patient and I say, have you lost weight? Oh, yeah, I've been dieting. I've been trying to lose weight. In order to get my transplant, I have to lose so much. So they're actually physically trying to lose weight and, you know, didn't say anything to anybody without the blood volume monitor, we wouldn't have realized that they were trying to lose weight. And so I'm going, you know what, I think we need to add to your goal today because it looks like you've lost weight. Then we do add to the goal and I have to explain, you know what, even though your dry weight is 70, um, if we get you off at 70 today, we're going to be leaving, say, two liters of water on your body. That's an extra two liters that's spread out between your cells and your blood vessels and your heart has to pump that extra fluid around and your knees might be a little swollen, your ankles may be a little swollen. That all matters, so we need to know. And then many times I'll think somebody's put on weight, also looking at the crit line, blood volume's dropping dramatically, going, wow, this patient's feeling better, they're eating better. And then I look at their serum albumin and their albumin's gone up from 38 to four or from 3.9 to 4.1. That's an indication your patient's eating better and has gained weight. So it works both ways. 
you lose weight when you're feeling bad or you're sick or you've had the flu or you've been hospitalized. You put on weight when you're feeling good. The weather's nice. You're going out for a walk. You've taken your grandson's fishing and you're eating more eggs. And the complications of fluid are so serious because, you know, I've experienced congestive heart failure. I had that happen when I was a teenager. Uh, I ended up like losing weight or something was happening and I ended up dialyzing at a different place and it had a different scale and the scale was different. So I always explain to patients, you know, the scale at your dialysis unit could be different if you're traveling and you're on a different scale. It can fluctuate five five pounds easily. So I got caught into that rut one time just believing the scales were all the same. If you can't figure out that Anne and I are very big fans of blood volume monitoring and crit line, uh, this is a tool that helps measure hematocrit in real time. It it shows us the changes in blood volume, what's happening to your intravascular system during dialysis, and we're big fans of that. Uh, unfortunately, not everyone has access to that. So um, maybe you could talk a little bit about how the facility may manage if you don't have the crit line. What? How are they finding your dry weight and keeping it at a, a safe level? Wow. So that's a difficult question. Um, as you know, full disclosure, I work for Fresenius, and one of the things that Fresenius is attempting is to have everybody thrive, and we are targeting personalized care. And I tell all my new patients when they come in, I say, you know, I'm here and I'm going to commit to you to give you the best life that I possibly can with the disease you have. So having said that, I don't know how I could be a nurse without blood volume monitoring, but in the days prior to blood volume monitoring, it takes a very experienced, detailed assessment. Um, Looking at your numbers, your pre-weight, your post-weight, the previous week's worth of treatments, your blood pressures, your pulses, listening very carefully to heart sounds, listening very carefully to lung sounds, um, five quadrants in the back, two quadrants in the front, taking deep breaths, counting respirations, asking the patient, do they have nausea, vomiting? Um, if you have too much fluid, you can get gut edema. That can make you nauseous. How's your breathing? Do you have to sleep with one or two pillows? Can you lie flat? Um, can you walk around the block without getting short of breath? How many flights of stairs can you go up without getting short of breath? Are your ankles swollen? Do you have any um, ulcers that may be diabetic ulcers that may be getting worse? Is your heart regular? You need to listen to, you know, heart rate and rhythm. Is the rhythm regular? You need to look at jugular veins to see if they're distended. So I think it takes a very focused, detailed clinical assessment by an experienced clinician to make that determination. Then you need to look at lab results. Hopefully Mm -hmm. you're looking at hemoglobin. Hemoglobin gets diluted with fluid overload because hemoglobin is measured in grams per deciliter. Deciliter is a volume measurement. So are the hemoglobins trending down? Sometimes that's my first clue that the patient is fluid overloaded and losing weight. His hemoglobins are trending down. Albumin, is albumin trending up or trending down? That has to do with are you losing or gaining weight? So so those are the issues that you would um, pay a lot of attention to 
without a blood volume monitor to guide you every treatment. Well, recently I was actually hospitalized because of a, I had some complications from diverticulitis. And my hemoglobin started trending down, like, oh, you need blood. I just had too much fluid on me. And everybody didn't really, like, look at that because I have a functioning transplant. And the transplant became a little bit overwhelmed with all the complications of diverticulitis and all the antibiotics. And, you know, blood was on the agenda to give me. And it turned out I was seriously fluid overloaded. I needed a diuretic. (laughs) And when I was on dialysis, you know, I was lucky enough to have my own crit line. And it gave me such a a comfort level to be able to see what was happening intravascularly. Because when you crash on dialysis, and I know a lot of patients experience this. I think every patient experiences crashing. It makes you afraid to go back on dialysis. You don't want to go back because you, you are so fearful of having that experience. So... I know. I think we could have a, a, a topic on this, but we're going to be talking to Dr. Coyne in a future interview. You'll have to check out. We're going to talk more in depth about um, some strategies for fluid management and how you can help assess the right dry weight. So just getting to your point about crashing, that is the worst thing ever. Um, the problem with crashing, other than making you feel really bad, is that the treatment is to give you saline. And there's too much sodium in saline. So we're giving you salt and we're giving you fluid when you crash. In our clinic, we actually only use saline for initiation of treatment and ending treatment to return the blood. We are not using saline at all in the middle of a treatment because our patients literally are not crashing because of using the crit line. It's it's just, you know... So we're very proactive and we work very hard to prevent crashing. Well, and it's interesting to me because I often hear, oh, my blood pressure was low. And if your blood pressure is low, it could be a sign of fluid overload. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're dry. And I I always try to explain this in social media and blogs and uh, wherever I can because when you have too much volume on you in your intravascular structure, your heart can't pump effectively, and it makes your blood pressure low, and it's really hard to get fluid off of somebody whose blood pressure is low if you don't have tools. I mean, the blood pressure is a reactive measure. Right. So It happens after the fact. <laughs> it, it, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, your blood pressure drops after you have a, an episode of, of something going on intravascularly. And um, it's so amazing to me because we've been you know, talking about fluid management. I'm so happy that the community is focused on this topic. And they just move a little slower than, than I would like them to. <laughs> and uh, I, I know and I know both of us have had many arguments with very uh, top clinicians in the community um, over the last two decades and saying, oh, you know, it doesn't work. I'm like, what do you mean? It's a tool. <laughs> if you don't know how to use it, then, yeah, it won't work. <laughs> What I tell people is that the crit line doesn't tell you what to do. The crit line is a monitor. Right. Monitors give you information, and somebody has to assess the information. Right. There are a lot of data points in the crit line, hematocrit, blood volume, oxygen saturation. So those data points need to be evaluated in context. 
That's called personalized care. You have to know your patient's history. You have to know what medications your patients are on. Patients, that's why we do a medication review on you monthly. We need to know what meds you are on because your meds have side effects. Your beta blockers can slow your pulse. We need to know those things because that helps us give you the personalized care that you've come to expect from your provider. When we are looking at blood pressure, many times we are looking at blood volume going down and blood pressure coming up if the patient starts with a low blood pressure. Exactly to your point, Laurie, that the two, you can have a low blood pressure because you are fluid overloaded, because your heart's congested or floppy or stretched out and it cannot pump effectively. Just remember that blood pressure is dependent on the pump and the pipes. Right. The pump is the heart and the pipes are the blood vessels. And those two things are affecting your blood pressure, making it too high or too low. You can be fluid overloaded and your blood pressure can be too high or too low. You can be about to crash and your blood pressure can be too high or too low, depending on if you have residual renal function or not. Another thing to mention in fluid management is um, does the patient have residual renal function because any amount of urine... We have one of our nephrologists here in Placer County who calls urine liquid gold, and she tells the patients it's liquid gold. Well, we do 24-hour urine collections every quarter because we want to track your urine output. How much are you peeing in 24 hours? Because that's also going to affect how we adjust your dry weight up or down. Your urine is counting. Your urine is liquid gold. And when, when I was on peritoneal dialysis, I, it was easier for me to manage my fluid. It took uh, more fluid off um, than when I was on hemo. And interestingly enough, when I was on hemo, I had a very high blood pressure. They couldn't get it under control. And then I went on PD, and this was before Critline or any other uh, product that was available. Uh, it went to a normal level. I never had problems with blood pressure on peritoneal dialysis. And I guess that brings me to the next question. Do you think peritoneal dialysis manages people's fluid better than hemodialysis? Yes. And and I think that once again, you know, we've got to do personalized care. Everybody's an individual. We all have a different um, physical life, emotional life, and, and we need to custom we need to custom customize our care in order to meet the patient's individual needs. And so that's why maybe your fluid will be better managed on a next-stage machine at home, dialyzing five times a week. Maybe you need hemodialysis on a regular machine three times a week. Maybe you need PD. And just because you choose one modality, um, which works better for you, that doesn't mean that that modality has to be your modality for life. You can transition from... PD to a next stage and stay home or if the next stage doesn't work for you or your caregiver dies, you know, life happens. Life happens to all of us all the time. Then you can finally transition to in-center, but I'm almost thinking that in-center should be the last choice and not the first choice. We right. should start everybody at home. Right. Um, preferably on PD and then go to the next stage and, and move like that and that would definitely improve quality of life, in my opinion. This is my opinion. <laughs> um, I'm not speaking on behalf of anybody, but 
if I were to need dialysis, I'd want to stay home. I wouldn't want to come to a dialysis unit until it was necessary, of course. Well, and it, it's, you know, when your kidneys don't function and you have to rely on a machine to live, it's very mental. And you, you know, this is another topic, but you suffer from depression. You don't think you have a future. you just like, oh... Uh, I'll just let somebody else take care of me because it's easier. But I've learned from experience that the more you're engaged and understand what's going on, you you recover quickly and you can go live the life you want to live. So, um, But it doesn't always feel that way when you're in the middle of a crisis. Right. And, and that's the problem with dialysis. I mean, there are so many physical and emotional challenges. And, and so so you have your challenges on the one hand. And then on the other hand, we're all trying to lead meaningful, fulfilling lives because we're human, right? Mm-hmm. So so how do we combine the challenges of kidney disease and still continuing to lead meaningful, fulfilling lives? I mean, most of my patients are married, they have children, they have grandchildren. That's more important than spending 10% of your time on dialysis. Right. Um, when you come in center... 10% of your time is just getting your treatment. Could I devote a tenth of my time and still lead a meaningful life? And I think that's why depression is so common. And if you're fluid overloaded and you can't walk around the block, that would also make me more depressed. Or if you can't take your grandson fishing, that would make me depressed. So I think there's a domino effect. You know, one thing leads to another and we need to get to the root cause. And so fluid... Fluid overload just impacts all areas of your life without you even realizing it. Well, how do you determine how much fluid a patient should gain in between treatments? And what are some strategies to help them maintain that goal? So one of my rough um, numbers that I use is don't gain more than 5% of your dry weight. So if your dry weight is 100, then you can gain 5 liters. But if your dry weight is 50, you can only gain 2.5 liters max. And that's 50 kilograms or 50 pounds. Right. So the, if, you, if you weigh 50 kilograms, you can gain 2.5 kilograms. Okay. If you weigh 100 kilograms, you can gain 5 kilograms. So we say to the little granny who weighs 40 and who comes in having gained three kilograms, we go, oh my gosh, you did such a good job on your dry, on your fluids this week or this day or this period. No, she didn't because if you weigh 40 kilograms, you shouldn't gain more than two. So three is too much. If you weigh 100 kilograms, the guy who comes in and has gained five, we say, oh my gosh, you really abused your fluid. You gained so much. No, he really didn't. As a percentage of his dry weight, he did great. Five wow. kilos is not too much for a guy who weighs 100 kilos. Three kilos is too much for somebody who weighs 40 kilos. That makes so much sense, Anne. <laughs> um, you know, you, you, it's such an easy formula. And, and then um, what are some strategies that you help explain to patients how they can maintain that goal? Because thirst is such a powerful feeling, and uh, uh, I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to let you answer it. You're going to let me answer it? <laughs> well, thirst cannot be controlled by the will. So that's the first thing those of us that are caretakers need to understand. Thirst is controlled by osmoreceptors in the brain. I mean, you cannot tell somebody who's thirsty not to drink. Have you ever been thirsty and not 
had something to drink. You can't, you can't control thirst by your will. So the question is, how can you control thirst? Well, and I think you know the answer, salt is your enemy. So sodium makes you thirsty because everybody has a sodium set point. And you will be thirsty until your sodium is diluted to your individual sodium set point. So if my sodium set point is 135 and I eat a high salty meal and my serum sodium goes up, let's say, to 138, I'm going to drink until my sodium is back down to 135 because that's just how physiology works. So sometimes before we ask patients to manage their fluid intake, we need to have them manage their sodium. And that is really, you can do a 30-minute talk, Laurie, on sodium alone. No, it I know. So we'll do hard. one. We'll do one. It is so hard to manage sodium in America because sodium is used as a preservative. If it comes in a box or a can or from the deli, don't touch it. Right. Walk the other way. It's exactly. too high in sodium. I know frozen chicken, everything has preservatives in it. So sodium is, is critical. It's impossible to control your thirst if you don't control your sodium. And Dr. Belding Scribner, the grandfather of dialysis, told me that it takes 21 days to lose the taste of sodium. So if you go 21 days without eating salt, you'll lose you won't want it anymore. And that's so evident because I've been in the hospital. I've been sick 21 days and I come out and I'm like, oh my God, that's so salty. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it does work, but it's hard. And, uh, you know, there's so many great choices of eating out and all these hidden sodiums. And it's very easy to get back into a rut of eating too much sodium. So, uh, And if you've got normal kidneys, that's great because then you drink a lot and you pee a lot. Exactly. But in dialysis, you can't drink a lot and pee a lot. That's not how it works. I know. It's just, and it's really hard on your body because having too much excess fluid, it leads to congestive heart failure, left ventricle hypertrophy. I mean, and the most important thing, your shoes don't fit or it hurts to walk. Or your rings. Yeah, your rings don't come off. I mean, your face can be puffy. You wake up and you feel swollen. And once you get moving, you feel a little bit better. But it's it's uh, those are all signs of having too much fluid. And you need to go back and talk to your doctor or nurse. And, and I mean, this is a fact. Nurses are better at fluid management than doctors. Uh, is this the truth? <laughs> Well, I'm going to go. <laughs> Am out I getting on you on the spot there? Yeah, you you put me in the spot. I'm okay. going to say yes because doctors don't learn about nutrition in medical school, and the only reason I can say that is because you know I'm I'm related to some doctors, um, <laughs> whether they're in laws or blood relatives. I'm not going to disclose, but but you talk to you talk to any doctor and you ask them how much did they learn about nutrition in medical school? Um, not that much, you know. Doctors kind of are trained to figure out what makes you sick and nurses are trained to try to figure out what makes you better. <laughs> well, and nurses are there during the whole treatment cycle. Doctors are only there for a routine visit. And right. I think yeah, and and you know when you're on dialysis, you have to make decisions on a especially hemodialysis, a minute-by-minute decision if, you know, you start to blood, uh, your blood pressure drops or you cramp. I mean, you have to give saline. 
um, that's what the protocol is. If you don't feel good, and then that adds more fluid, and saline has sodium in it, so it starts the vicious cycle over and over again. And, right. uh, uh, and so what would be the first thing that patients could do and a uh, question they could ask their clinician or nurse about fluid management? I would start with the dietitian, and I would hope the dietitian would get a food diary and then give some recommendations about where you could cut your sodium. And, I mean, even with phosphorus, it's really interesting. You know, we have, we have cultures that are eating a lot of different foods and don't realize, oh, my gosh, avocados are pretty high in potassium, but because avocado is so much a part of what you're eating, you don't put it in your food diary because doesn't everybody eat avocado at every meal? Or doesn't everybody put soy sauce on their rice? You know, I'm not going to say that I use soy sauce on my rice if that's just how I grew up from babyhood. Um, So I think the dietitians really need to do a focused food diary and look at sources of sodium and 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 really try and help the patients. And I think that's one of the hardest things to change is your your culture. You know, we don't eat what we like. We like what we eat. We're, we're trained. If you if you're from Iran, sheep's eyes are a delicacy. If you put a bowl of sheep's eyes in front of me, I don't think I'd want to eat it. But now, if you put a bowl of sheep's brains in front of me, I would love to eat it because I grew up on a sheep ranch in South Africa. So I love sheep's brains. I wouldn't eat them in America. <laughs> um, but but culture is so much part of who we are, and that's where the dietitian can really help and focus. And, and I think we need to make small changes. We need to take baby steps. We can't just say, oh, stop eating avocados because your potassium is too high. We need to say, can you eat um, avocados only once a day instead of three times a day? Right. Try to meet the patient where they are and help them make gradual changes because, you know, food is so much a part of enjoyment. and it's, Exactly. Or go on home dialysis and maybe you'll be able to eat those avocados. You oh, know? <laughs> absolutely. That's the answer. Exactly. That's the other one, right? Well, thank you, Anne, so much for sharing your knowledge. I think there's many topics that we could speak about in the future, but I really appreciate on behalf of patients your dedication to this most important topic for the last 20 years. And hopefully it will be just a standard of care and everybody will have the same protocols. And uh, what was the term that you used that I was... Personalized care or customized care? Personalized patient care. I mean, this cookie cutter box patient care needs to go out the door. And everybody has to have personalized care. And and the patient needs to advocate for it, too. So, um, you know, everyone listening out there, make sure that you're doing your part and learning all you can so you can be in the best shape possible. Onward and forward. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the speaker and not necessarily to Fresenius Medical Care North America or any of its divisions, including Fresenius Kidney Care. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.